Smarty Pants Lance, Smarty Pants Lance, Smarty Pants Lance. Greetings, everybody. Today, let's talk about why music, modern music, sucks. And I'm talking about pop music. I'm talking about country music. I'm not talking about other forms of music, which I know not of. And that's the end of my podcast because uh, modern music sucks. And it's not a belief that I uh, just came about today. I've been thinking about it for years. Of course, when I was a boy... In them old days of the 60s and the 70s, and <coughs> like of them are there, uh, there was good music, mostly. I get that it's subjective. And when I say mostly, I am excluding Disco Duck by Rick Dees and his cast of idiots, Muskrat Love by Captain and Tennille, Loving You by Minnie Ripperton, oh, man, nails on a chalkboard, and a few other tunes that we could all live without. Although, when I was a kid, I really did love Snoopy versus the Red Baron by the Royal Guardsmen. <laughs> you know what? I still like it today. And I'm still bouncing around to the 1910 Fruit Gum Company's uh, 1, 2, 3 Red Light or Simon Says. Simon Says, that's the one. <laughs> they had two hits. But <clears throat> so I started thinking, I wonder why. Well, I was thinking this because. Uh, a couple days ago, I was in the recording studio of a uber-famous mu- music producer. Did I say music? Music producer. <laughs> and, I mean, really, you know, there's, in the world of exaggerations, where it's like, oh, this guy's fantastic, you know, we're American Idol, where none of these people are like actual singing idols, and many of them aren't even that talented. It's just all exaggeration. What they call a 10-today or an amazing performance is more like a three compared to other people. I mean, really, how many of these people are Elvis Presley? How many would want to be Elvis Presley? They might have the weight and girth of Elvis Presley in his later years and not be like the young, buoyant Elvis to pelvis Presley. He didn't like that, I'm sure. I exclude shuffle dancers who have nothing to do with my music talk, but every one of those shuffle dance uh, videos you see, that is what a body, a healthy, fit, young body is supposed to look like and move like, okay? Here we are. I think it's a filtering issue. What do I mean by that? Well, let's go back a bit. If I wanted to get new music when I was a boy, what I would do is listen to the radio, and it was AM radio, and AM radio was exciting, and it had a boom and a crackle and a reverb and, you know, all that underneath it. And you'd have like newscasts even that would be like, um, in Radio Park, it's 84 degrees. I'm Stephen B. Stevens, and that's KXOK. And now back to the greatest hits on the planet with Johnny Rabbit on the big 630. I had to put that in there because I just like doing it. I don't know. It gives me a certain feels, you know, all the feels, all the feels. Okay. Um, But you'd have to get on the radio or... On the TV, maybe Ed Sullivan. We're watching the Ed Sullivan. Okay, like a shock. Ed Sullivan would have bands on and try to make them clean up their lyrics if they could. There was a famous incident with the Rolling Stones, I believe. You know, or Bandstand, um, or mm, there was a couple other ones that were sort of competing with Bandstand. Bandstand was on ABC. The other ones were were like move on with the story. Never mind. We'll Google it. Okay. So I'm thinking it's a filtering issue. What do I mean by that? All right. If the only place to hear new music and to be exposed to it is on the radio or TV, that means somebody had to convince 
the bandstand people or the other shows that this band was worthwhile putting them on for other people to view or they had to convince radio stations to play a record because it was records back then usually a single a 45 in a big hole in the center for people that aren't familiar with it although today everyone calls them vinyl and somehow it's had a resurgence <laughs> stupid me i had a full collection of 45s i had them in their original dust jackets i had them alphabetized i had at least a thousand and i had all these albums even picture albums that are collectible today people are like what'd you do with them well i couldn't get rid of them i was moving nobody wanted them nobody played records anymore people didn't have turntables anymore and i just kind of went over to a used record store and they said we don't want them either but if you just want to leave them here i i literally gave them away i just dumped them there and i figured well you know technology no one wants that and now today the resurgence. Son of a... How is it that in the old days you would get a song on the radio? First of all, you had to be a band that actually had talent for the most part. And to have that talent, you had to practice playing instruments for gazillion hours. Think about the Beatles, for example. Did they just get together and say, oh, you know what we all do? We all just get together and have a band and we'll just start playing and we'll get a record contract straight away. Did they? No. They had to go to Germany and hang outside Javor and in the clubs and play like five, six nights a week, maybe thrice on Sundays or something. I mean, not Sundays, like I don't know, but, but they had to s develop their craft, as we call it, even though I really hate that phrase. It sounds so, okay, I'm just working on my craft and I'm in my process. Ugh. I've heard that from actors before. Usually not the really good ones, though. <laughs> They're more like, hey, hey, you know what? I got your craft right here, as they're pointing down to their uh, lower uh, regions of their bodies. They had to develop it. I think the Beatles spent quite a lot of time in Germany and in clubs in England, and so they had to develop who they were so they could play as a band so that when they finally were able for broader viewing or maybe a record company would listen to them, they had themselves pretty much down. So, record companies, that's a filter right there. You have to be discovered. Then someone has to say, okay, we like this band. We'll have to invest money in them to develop them as artists. Well, what does that mean? Well, you couldn't just record in your garage or in your car or on your iPhone or Android if you have one. Android, you had to go to a recording studio. And these were expensive propositions. So record companies would be like, we're not just going to spend our money with the recording engineer and producers and the facility costs uh, unless we think that these people have something and we can sell these records. Filter one, you got to get someone interested. Then when you go in the recording studio, you have a professional producer who's listening and they might tell you, yeah, you're not up to speed on this or I like what you did there, but we need a little bit more. And you've got a collaborative effort going on between the recording engineer, all the musicians playing, uh, even additional musicians, because let's face it, during the 50s and into the 60s especially, there was this group called the Wrecking Crew, the idea being they're all professional studio musicians, and the argument was instead of letting the band members play, because they played okay, but not like you know Glenn Campbell or uh, a lot of the people that uh, played as the Wrecking Crew in the background, all of the Beach Boys records, the instruments were not played by the Beach Boys. <laughs> 
no. Did you really think that? Did you really think those boys of the beach played their own instruments on that? No. No, they had professional musicians. And that's part of the reasons why that sound sounded so much better compared to today. So they got to pay all these musicians. Then they have to mix it down. And it's a lot. Of, it's, it's an effort. It's, it's sorts. It's a whole thing. And once they have something and they have a concept, they would help develop these artists. You know, it took a four, I think it was for uh, the boss. I think it took a, what do you mean, the boss? Don't be talking about the boss out there, right? Ex neon talking about the, I'm talking about Bruce Springsteen. Mr. Springsteen, hello, Mr. Springsteen. No, Bruce Springsteen. I think it was his fourth album before he finally started to catch on. So someone had to invest the time and the money to produce this album and allow him the time to develop so he'd finally caught on. And of course, he caught on in a big, 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 big way. They don't do that today. They're not going to spend the time or the money. Once it's all in the can and it's recorded, now they got to distribute it. So they got to pay people to go out and promote it. And they have to go to radio stations in the old days and try to convince them to play their record because there's a lot of other competitors that want airtime as well. That costs money, and then they've got to watch it. You know, who's going to buy it? How do we promote it? Et cetera, et cetera. And when the records start to catch on, people want to see the band. That's why the practice makes perfect part pays off, because later when the bands actually appear in concert, people want to go see them. I don't know if you know this, but it was the records and the music first is why... People wanted to go see the Beatles at Chase Stadium and other places. If they just saw them live and didn't know who they were, you know, you'd be sitting there kind of like watching uh, a WNBA game. Huge stadium, nobody's there. <laughs> Sorry, WNBA. It was the thing that came to my mind in this moment. All right, maybe that was a better analogy. <laughs> so you have these multiple steps you'd have to make it through in order to have your record out there, and hopefully people would like it, and maybe it would climb the charts, and maybe it wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, there was payola and, and all that, and they eventually cleaned that up. The other thing was technology. That was kind of a filter, too, because prior to about yeah, 1958-ish, all records were monaural. So all the sound came out of one speaker. Same thing with movies and all that. But technology improved, and they had to uh, convince people that, yeah, all that money you spent with your hi-fi, uh, mono, you need to spend more money and get the new technology <laughs> um, in stereo. But stereo was a huge improvement. Think about it. Everyone's used to it today, but they don't know. There was a time, like, if you were listening to a sound effect or something, and a plane was flying by overhead, and it's monaural, the sound just comes straight at you. Instead, with stereo, you could hear it fly from the left to the right, or the right from the left, or up to down. You know, yeah, they could mix it that way. Or when they were recording a band, they could have different instruments that might have been all mooshed together out of one speaker be more discreet. And the singers could be discreet. And classical music, well, you know, all the instruments and all that. I think that's was one of the ways they wowed people with stereo. That and demonstration records where they had fetching women on the cover. Or they were playing on the space race. You know, the idea of sounds in space <laughs> in stereo. It all worked, and it was great. You know, by the late 60s, everyone just assumed if you bought a record, it was stereo. They used to advertise it. Kind of like TV shows around 1966 all converted to color. Uh, and they used to go like, the FBI, in color. <laughs> you know, and you're sitting there watching your crappy zenith black and white from the 1950s and making you feel like you got to go spend money and buy a new color set. 
Well, all right, today, by comparison, any jackass can go and take their laptop and with some simple downloads and a microphone, $500, uh, you know, of setup replaces $50,000 worth of old, you know, studio stuff, but they have no producer with them, no one to tell them whether they're good or bad. There's no barrier to them putting this stuff out and they don't have to convince anyone. They can just record it and then pull the handle and flush it straight out onto the internet. (laughs) So with no filters, no controls, and think about it, there's a filter. If you weren't ready for a record, they wouldn't spend the money. You were out. If you were ready, they'd help develop you to make you better. And then they'd refine it as you recorded it. And it was a collaborative thing. One person sitting there using downloaded programs of a drum and this and that uh, to make a sound, if anyone can do it, and pretty much anyone can do it, with no one there telling them, hey, no, that's why music sucks. There's no filter to it anymore. And there's too much of it. Think about it. In the old, old days... Maybe they released um, a thousand new songs a year, something like that. I don't know. I don't have the statistics on it. Google it. But today it's like 200,000 <laughs> new sounds or a million because everyone can just, you know, again, flush it all right down the internet. Um, no, no. Uh, also, the songwriting uh, sucks and the message that comes across sucks. Good beat, okay, danceable, shuffle step, love watching those videos as I mentioned earlier. But you know what? You're the judge. If you like some new music and it resonates with you, awesome sauce. Me, I wish I could find something that was new that I'd go, oh wow, not wow, but oh wow, that's the sound I've been looking for. But no, I hope this episode sounded good to you. And maybe you're wondering, should I take my own medicine? Maybe I should have a producer too. Put a filter on it for God's sake. The proceeding brought to you by musicsucks.disorg.